once again to the Perimeter Church podcast. When God calls us to mission, he doesn't just throw us into the storm and hope for the best. Executive Director of Family Transformation, Jimmy Kim, continues the series Radical Renewal with this sermon entitled Divine Provision for the Mission, which covers Acts chapter 28, verses 1 to 16. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at Perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Perimeter Church. Today's scripture reading comes from Acts 28, 1 through 16. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had winter in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Petoli. There, we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so, we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and Three Taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now let's pray together our prayer of illumination this morning. Gracious God, reveal your holy, eternal word to us and introduce us to the knowledge of your will. Where we have erred, correct us. Where we are wounded, heal us. Where we are needy, fill us. Good shepherd, lead. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. I don't know how many of us in this room have ever been to a ship commissioning. I'm actually very curious. Has anyone ever been to a ship commissioning? Everyone's looking around. Okay, I saw one hand in the back there. I would imagine maybe some military background, Navy perhaps. Um, I've never been to one. I've seen them on YouTube, and that's where most preachers go for their illustrations. (laughs) 
If you've ever seen or, or are aware of any sort of commissioning, you know that it's a big deal, right? Not only because of the, the nature of the, the, the ship and the size of it, the magnitude of it, but for the purpose that it's being set out to do. Uh, I've also have never commissioned anyone to do artwork for me. I guess the closest I've ever done anything to that is uh, I've hired a photographer to take some family photos for us. Uh, I guess that's sort of like a commissioning of an artist, right? And perhaps the closest I've ever done anything like this, uh, though my wife didn't ask this of me, one year I decided to give her or write for her a song. I'm not going to sing you that song. Don't hold your breath for that. And there is no, as far as I know, evidence of this song anywhere on the internet, which is actually quite a feat uh, in today's day and age. But um, what I'm getting at is this. There are things that we commission, that we send out, and then we ourselves can be a people who are being commissioned or being sent out. We're set aside for the work. We're made aware of the work and the purpose of the work, and then we're sent out to go and do it. Where we are in Acts 28 now is the end of 28 chapters of this mission of God that starts, we see, in Christ. And we're going to pick up in, in Matthew 28. If you're familiar with Scripture and if you've been around a church, you know Matthew 28, 18 through 20 as the Great Commission. That's right. This is what Jesus says to his disciples as he's about to ascend into heaven. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So you can imagine the scene. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven after his death on the cross, after his resurrection from the grave. His disciples are waiting for their instructions, their going orders, if you will. And Jesus tells them, I want you to go, right? Make disciples, go out, tell the people about this work, about the gospel, Jesus says, of me, of a loving father in heaven who cares for them, who will wipe away every sin and every tear from their eye. We pick it up in Acts chapter 1. Right? In a similar scene, Jesus is with the disciples. And he's already given this commissioning. And now he's going to tell them sort of this plan that they are to go about this work. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The disciples have been commissioned. They've been given the plan They've already received their calling. And so here we see Paul as he approaches Caesar and approaches Rome. Undoubtedly, he is fully, fully aware of what is happening. And so he's reminded of his own commissioning and even his own calling. We don't have this slide for you, but you may remember uh, in Acts chapter 9, the calling of Paul before he was Paul was Saul. You may be familiar, and if not, I'll tell you, Saul was not an advocate of the Christian faith. In fact, he was an adversary to it. He was against it. He worked strongly and fervently to stop the work, actually, of the disciples and of this Jesus Christ and of this Holy Spirit. And so God confronts him in Acts chapter 9, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And I said, Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up, rise, enter the city. You will be told what you are to do. And in an explanation to Ananias, this is what is said of Saul, who would become Paul. He's a chosen instrument of mine to do what? Now listen closely. To carry my name before the Gentiles, that is non-Jews, and to the kings and to the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. What is at the center of this New Testament mission? Not just for Paul, not just for the disciples, but also for us in the church today, some two millennia later. Well, at the center is Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead and what that represents, which is defeat over sin, defeat over death, and that by faith in him, through his grace, we too can know eternal life, the life that Jesus Christ has, he gives to us. The perfection that he lived out is given to us. And in exchange, we give to him our sinfulness and our misdeeds, a great exchange. What fuels this mission? Well, Jesus promises again, and we see it here in Acts 1, it's the Holy Spirit that fuels the mission. So upon these two things, the life of Christ and the presence of the Spirit, Paul is going forth on mission. And again, not just Paul, but us as well. In a book that John Stott wrote, which is a commentary on the book of Acts, I've got two quotes here. The second will be the one that will be on the screen. But first, let me say this, that the kingdom of God is God's rule that is set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. That's what I just said. It is spread by witnesses, not by soldiers, through a gospel of peace, not a declaration of war, and by the work of the Spirit, not a force of arms political intrigue, or revolutionary violence. And then here's a quote on the screen. He goes on to say, kingdom values then come into collision with secular values. And the citizens of God's kingdom, that's you and I, we steadfastly deny to Caesar the supreme loyalty that he hungers for, but which they insist on giving to Jesus alone. We, as his witnesses, those who have been sent out on mission, this is our calling. This is our goal. And so as God sends Paul, as we read, and we will study now, but also observe in our own lives, what does God do? He provides for the mission. He provides his protection. He provides his power. And he provides his presence. So let's look first at God's provision of his protection. When you look in the passage, we see that they are coming onto the island of Malta. And if you were here last week, Jeff talked about how they left the area of Israel, right, in Caesarea, and they had to get all the way from Caesarea to Rome, which is pretty much the span of the Mediterranean Sea. They had a plan for how to get there, but the timing was not the best timing. And in fact, they ran into storms and not just any storm, but a storm that blew them wildly off course. And so they, here they are in the midst of this vast ocean, not knowing where they're going, unsure because they can't navigate by the stars. There's no land in sight. And so what happens to the people on board that ship? They lose hope. We see God's provision of his protection through the storm. 
Acts 27, as Paul is interacting with God and praying to God, God appears to Paul and he says, Paul, don't be afraid because your mission is clear. You need to stand before Caesar. And behold, Paul then says to those on the ship, he's granted you all to those who sail with you. Take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. We must run aground on some island. So have hope. He says, take and eat. You guys haven't eaten in, in 14 days. We need to maintain hope. So let's keep a hope in the midst of the storm. God will provide, he says. Not only does he provide in the storm, you might think it odd, but he provides through a shipwreck. And most any other scenario, a shipwreck is a bad thing. But this is God's provision. Because what does a shipwreck mean? It means that they're near land. Where were they not before? near land. The inevitable thing happens. They lose the ship due to the storm, but not a single loss of life, just as God promised. In God's sovereignty, the storms, it actually pushed them toward this island of Malta. And strangely enough, they had to experience the storm to get back on the track. And that's exactly what happened. Acts 27, 44. And so it was that they were all brought safely to land. Acts 21, 8 in our passage today, after we were brought, how? Safely through. We were brought safely through. Through a shipwreck. Salvation through a shipwreck and through the storms. We also see God's provision and his protection through the waiting. They had to wait for winter to pass. They arrive on this island and the native islanders there are incredibly generous and kind, unusually so, as Luke mentions. And it's not just a, we're here for, I don't know, this storm to blow over and then we'll be on the next ship out. No, it is, we have to wait for the whole season because we have to get to Rome. And you might be tempted to think, you know, for those of you especially who maybe have had the unique privilege and opportunity to travel to the Mediterranean like I have, um, it's a beautiful place. And being stranded on the island of Malta doesn't sound so terrible. Again, I went to the internet, looked at pictures of Malta. It's beautiful. <laughs> Paul and his companions were not there on an all-inclusive trip. <laughs> they were not there to be waited on hand and foot. They were not there to just take a breather. They were there because they were shipwrecked. They were there because, guess what? Paul is a prisoner. And not an ordinary prisoner, he's a prisoner of Caesar. And his companions, yes, he's got companions in Luke and in Aristarchus, but he also has a centurion that is watching over him, a centurion named Julius, who, again, in the text, Luke mentions as being very kind to Paul. Who was on this ship? Prisoners and guards, all saved, and you might think, as I did, and as I do, man, if I were stranded on this island, I would be in no hurry to get on a boat to get me to Caesar. But Paul is resolute. We must go. And so the moment comes, uh, the once the, rather, the, once the moment comes, they are off on that next ship out to Rome. This waiting period is something that I think all of us are familiar with. Maybe less so some of us are familiar with what it means to be shipwrecked or feeling like you've been shipwrecked in life. 
And some of you feel like right now even are going through a storm. You can't navigate. You don't know where God's taking you. You don't know what to do. I've been there. It's hard, isn't it? To think about God's provision of protection when you're in those moments. Because our natural instinct is to pray for safety and to desire safety. Our natural instinct is to pray for protection and provide protection. Let's not do the dangerous thing. Let's not do the risky things. The truth is, though, that when God calls us to his mission and to his work, one, God is a loving father who cares for you. So he's not going to send you out unprotected into the storm and shipwreck you with no means to get salvation. And he doesn't put you in a period of waiting because it makes him happy. No, he does that for our own good because God is a good and loving God. We witness in Paul, uh, yes, a sort of happy solution because he's saved and he gets off this island of Malta. But for you, as you're tossed about to and fro, what do you do? Where do you go? What should we do? We do exactly as Paul did. We run to Jesus. Jesus says in John 14, 6 to his disciples, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to this loving father except through me. Similarly, earlier in the gospel of John, we see an interaction between Jesus and his disciples. He had followers and he had his 12 disciples. And after some hard teaching, some of his followers decided to leave. That's it. I'm out. Jesus, I can't handle this teaching. It's too hard. Jesus, upon seeing this, he looks at his 12 disciples and he says to them, will you too leave? And then Peter chimes in and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. So while our circumstances may not seem pleasant, no hardship is at that time. What do we do? What are we implored to do in scripture over and over? We look to the one who has eternal life, who does care for us and who does love us. We see God's provision through his protection. We also see God's provision in his power, in his power. We see God display his power to Paul and everyone around him in several ways in this passage. The first way is over the ocean. The ocean in Old Testament times, especially and in antiquity, was a place of chaos. It was a dangerous endeavor to ever go onto the ocean. And if you were not a Christian and not of the Jewish faith even then, you believe that whether it was the ancient Canaanite god of Yam, or if it's the Greek and Roman gods of Zeus and Neptune, you did not go onto the ocean without being overly prepared because you would not just risk your life so willy-nilly. The ocean was representative of chaos and confusion. But yet, what does God do? He says, I'm going to use that, but I'm going to use it to send you exactly where I need you to go. And immediately also, we should be thoughtful and mindful of Genesis 1. Out of the darkness, out of the chaos, God speaks and brings what? Order. Let there be light. And in the same way, we see Jesus, God himself, when he's with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, what does he do? 
He rebukes the wind and the waves. And he says, be still. Who has this power but God alone? God has the power over the ocean. He also has power over these lesser gods that we run into throughout this passage, right? Look at what it says, starting in verse two, the native people, they showed us unusual kindness. They kindled us a fire and they welcomed us because it began to rain and it was cold. And so Paul was helping out and he gathered a bundle of sticks, put them onto the fire and a viper came out and attached onto his hand. And when the native people saw this, what did they say? No doubt this man is a murderer. Even though he escaped the sea, he is not, justice will not allow him to live. Let me say this first. There's no evidence in the text here or even later on in the New Testament that the, the, the islanders here on Malta were believers. We don't see an establishment of a church either. And yet there's a sense of religiosity to them. They, they understand that, hey, there's this sense of uh, divine retribution or cosmic justice. Well, this guy, he must be a murderer. Yeah, he was saved from the sea. He ran away from the sea, but uh, justice is going to happen. And as they wait for him to die, literally is what the text says, but they waited a long time and they saw no misfortune come on him. And then they changed their minds and they thought, now Paul, he must be a God. And we don't see it here, but Paul, surely as we've seen in other places in Acts, would deny that. And he would say, no, do not look to me as a God. We look to the one true God. God's truth will prevail. God's word goes out and accomplished what it, he wants it to do. Isaiah 55, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is not like some ancient writing on a scroll that people seem to just live by and order their lives by. This is the living word and God's word accomplishes what he wants it to accomplish. So no false God, no lesser God can stand in our God's way. We also see God's provision of power even over the body, over illness. We see this as example in the, in the snake bite, Simon Kistemacher. In his commentary on Acts, he writes this, the snake bite is not a freak accident, but it's a divinely directed incident in which God displays his power and might. Not only of the assumption that the, the, the natives had of what should happen to Paul, but also, but also of this God who is truly over all of life, all of health. And we see this also in the example of the chief's father, the, the, the man Publius, who received and entertained Paul and his companions favorably. Remember, who was one of the persons in Paul's party? Luke. Luke the what? Physician. Who is Publius asking for help? Not Luke. He goes to Paul. When others on the island hear about this, who do they go to? Not Luke the physician. He doesn't set up shop. He doesn't set up a dock in a box. He instead, or all of these people, instead go to Paul for this healing. Now, at this point, we have to address the elephant in the room. But what about for me, God? Where's this power for me? I know plenty of people who are sick, who are dying, 
who are not well, their lives are literally a shipwreck. My life is a shipwreck. God, where is your power for me? And I think that is an honest place to be. And to cry that prayer of lament to God, I think is a good thing to do. And we do exactly as I prescribed earlier. We run to the one who has the words of eternal life, to Jesus. We run to him first and foremost. We run to him often. But we also need to understand where the greatest power is. It's not just over our bodies, though God has that ability. And I do pray for healing and I do pray for miracles to happen, even in our congregation and even in our, uh, in, in our um, communities today. But the greatest power of all is that God would even enter in to our lives from heaven to earth to save us from our wretchedness and from our sin. And that he would promise us eternal life with him. When was the last time you marveled at that power? When was the last time have you, like Lewis Jones writes in his hymn, there's power, power, wonder, working power, and the precious lamb, precious blood of the lamb, rather. How often are we thinking and praying and believing in that? When we have no power, what do we need to do? We need to remember the cross. We remember the one who was broken for us. And while we may not experience healing and wholeness here on this physical earth, the promise is this, that we will be restored, our bodies, our minds, and our relationships in heaven for eternity. As followers of Christ, we're all called. We talked about this, or I mentioned this at the very beginning and outset of this message. We're called because we're not on our own mission, we're on God's mission. So God will provide that power that we need. And what is the power that we're to proclaim? Not just a power over illness and a power over lesser gods and a power over karma and justice. It's a power over sin and death. 1 Peter 2.9, you'll hear this again later in Davon's benediction. 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. For what purpose? that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who did what for us? Who called us out of darkness. He doesn't say who saved you from your illness, though that is a glorious thing. Who repaired broken relationships, that is a glorious thing, but that's not what it says. Who gives you riches, it doesn't say that. Who gives you favor with, it doesn't say that. It says that you we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light to proclaim the excellencies of God, both here and now and in the life to come. We see God's provision through his protection, through his power, and lastly, in his presence. God's provision of his presence. Paul is reminded throughout this passage of God's being with him. Over and over and over, we see this. Not just in Acts 28, verses 1 through 16. We see it throughout the text of, of, of Acts. We see it throughout the letters of Paul, in fact. One of the primary ways that we see this here in this passage, again, is the companionship of close brothers. He had Luke with him. He had Aristarchus with him. He's not traveling alone. 
Back when I was younger and before I was married, I would oftentimes call my girlfriend, who is now my wife, and tell her, hey, I'm going to go and hike. I've got three days. Um, and cell phone technology wasn't like the best. Hey, I'm going to go and I'll call you when I get back. And it's like miles out, camp, miles back home. And uh, I know, you look at me, I'm not like a rugged outdoorsman by any means, but I do like to go hiking. I go camping. Um, I remember the first time that I did this here in Georgia. And I didn't even go to like into the deep wilderness uh, of, of the woods or anything like that. But I was, you know, a good, decent hike. And I remember I got to my campsite and I just started sobbing. Why? Because I was confronted with how alone I was, the stillness of the woods, and then also just being cut off. And I couldn't help but think about how so many people that I knew often felt like that, even in the midst of hundreds, if not thousands of people. It is good for us to have close people invested in us and for us to invest in others. We see this even in the life of Paul and the way that he ministered to Timothy and how Paul himself was ministered to by Barnabas, right? But we see the companionship of close brothers here. Paul did not have to endure the lonely road and journey to Rome on his own. He had Luke with him. He had Aristarchus with him. I've already mentioned this, but we also see God's provision of presence through the hospitality of strangers over and over again. Four times, in fact, we see this kind of hospitality show up, whether it's on Malta or through Julius the Centurion, who is overseeing Paul's journey from Jerusalem to Rome, or in others who come along the way. Again, there's no indication that the natives on Malta were believers or that there was a church established there. But still, Luke comments, unusual kindness. They gave generously. They entertained us hospitably. And look at what it says at the end of verse 10. They honored us greatly, which in the text, it literally says they honored us with many honors. They lavished honor onto us. And they gave us, they put on board whatever we needed. Who, when they are traveling, receives this kind of hospitality from strangers? Hardly ever. It reminds me of a story of Korean uh, travelers who got stranded in Buffalo, New York because of a snowstorm. And for a week, they were stuck because, I mean, I've never experienced snow like this, but I've heard uh, when it snows in Buffalo, it snows. And they were stuck. And they had the hospitality issue. Now, that is an unlikely story. That's an unusual story. And that's coming at the hands of strangers. How much so, church, ought we be hospi hospitable to the people around us? We also see God's provision of his presence and the fruit of ministry. It's one thing to be alone, right, and doing ministry. It's another thing to be in ministry and never see any fruit. That is a very lonely place, too. And some of you know this. You've been perhaps working to uh, introduce the gospel or share the gospel with family members, with coworkers, with neighbors for, for many, many years, decades, in fact, for some of us. And it's so discouraging when you do not see the fruit come out of all of that labor and all of that prayer. And so how refreshing is it to then see fruit? That's what's happening to Paul. 
Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome, not knowing a single person there, or rather not having met a person there, and he's never traveled to Rome. And so can you imagine the encouragement that he must have received when now he is 140 miles in Petoli from Rome, which is, by the way, modern-day Naples. Again, doesn't sound like a bad place to be stuck. He's there, and what do the Roman believers do? or the Italian believers come to do. They come to visit him. They come to visit him from the forum of Appius. They come to visit him from two, three taverns. They find other believers in Petoli. And what does it say in the text here about Paul? Verse 14, they, there we found brothers. We were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, they came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And then on seeing them, Paul thanked God and he took courage. What a good thing it is to see ministry labors result in fruit. Now, sometimes the reality is that we may never see fruit. And again, that's not the goal. But I believe God in his goodness of his provision, he provides that fruit for us to see, to be encouraged. So I encourage you, if you are in a season where you are waiting, 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 and you cannot believe, God, that other people are with me on this, or that there could ever be fruit from this situation, God will do it because God promises that he will. How do I know that God is with us? How can you know for sure? Go back to the Great Commission. What does it say at the very end? I am with you always, to the end of the age. Go back to the prophesied name of Jesus himself. He shall be born, and you shall call him what? Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. And not only does God say that he will be with us, we see it also promised in the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus says, as he's speaking to the disciples before he goes to the cross, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it, is, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. What encouragement for us today. And I say for us today. You see, this isn't just applicable to Paul. And these aren't just things that we observe in the text here in Acts 28. These are things that are applicable to us today. And no, you may not be commissioned as a missionary per se. But to be a follower of Christ is to be on mission for Christ and for the gospel. It says elsewhere, right, in 1 Corinthians, that you are representatives of the ministry of reconciliation. So go out and let people know about this. So where are you in the mission? Are you just starting off? Are you well on your way and tired? Are you contemplating ending your mission? Or maybe you're even contemplating, do I even start this mission? I think it's fascinating that over and over again in the New Testament, we see this imagery and uh, relation of the Christian faith to this idea of a race. And again, not a runner. Shocker, I know. But I have run, like on occasion. And when you do long distances, and again, this is what I hear of people who do actually like long distance running, it's tiring. 
It's exhausting. You need that encouragement from the people around you. You need sustenance to get you through. You need energy, right? You need a goal in mind as well. Hebrews 12:1 says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul writes, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Run that you may obtain the prize. Paul says as he's closing his ministry, he knows that his death is imminent. He writes to Timothy, I fought the good fight and I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Where are you in the mission? And what are you going to do to sustain yourself? Run to God. Run to the gospel. Are you feeling uncertain? Are you feeling excited? Are you feeling inadequate? Are you feeling frustrated? Are you feeling joyful? Remember God's protection, his power, and his presence as you go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray and we long for your spirit to remind us, would you even today remind us so indelibly, God, that you are with us. We need that encouragement because life is hard. We see the, the devastating effects of sin in this world, on our bodies, in our relationships, in this world. We see it all over. But may we not lose hope, God, in you who are with us and you promise your presence with us. And you are a God who says to the wind and to the waves and all the, 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 the difficulties in life, be still, be still, be still. God, may we run to you and know that you are God. And may we make you known among the nations. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.